Hello and welcome to The Stack. Today I speak with Andy Afford, editor of Pitch, a new quarterly about sports. Plus, we look at the role of journalism during the war and we speak with Michael Zaratus Cook from Smart Magazine, an art title from Canada. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. We start the show with a new title, which is always an exciting thing. It's called Pitch, a quarterly on stories of modern sport. What's interesting about Pitch is that it covers all sport, from football to boxing. It's all in there, with lots of historical pieces too. The editor Andy Efford stopped by at Midori House to tell me more about Pitch and also about his love for music magazines. I always say I fell into it. I um, I, I felt I had to work really hard in my sports career and I, and I could always write a bit. So if you've felt you've had to work really, really hard and then something you can do without too much, it feels, it, you, it's very hard to value it. And um, I ended up writing something about somebody, uh, another cricketer, I played cricket, and it was another cricketer and I knew them very, very well. It was one of those where you finish at three o'clock in the morning having written it and I thought, blimey, I don't think anybody else could have written that piece, given my relationship with that person. And then I started to sort of get into it. So I started writing, became an editor, because I wanted to make more money. You become a publishing director, and then if you're lucky enough, you run, you know, you become a managing director of a publishing company. So that, that's, that was my progression. So I don't think it's natural for everybody, but um, you know, I've coached some sport, I've written about some sport, and I've played some sport, I'd say. And it's interesting that pitch, it's definitely not just about cricket. And one thing I liked about it, it's literally about all sports. Because I've been noticing there's a lot of kind of segmented ones. A magazine about tennis, a magazine about rugby. You think is needed on the new standard title like this. Exactly that, because we, you know, we, we described ourselves, you know, all the people I know as sort of sports fans. And they sort of, you know, they'll be into the tennis when it's Wimbledon and then they'll follow the golf when it's the Open or the Ryder Cup and then the rugby internationals come round. And if you, there's almost that following the, and so you, you're in and around sport, but you have your favourites, but you're quite interested in the other sort of stuff. And, you know, there's nothing blokes like more than knowing something a bit more than one of their friends and being able to drop it in. So, and, and that sort of person, we had a pretty good idea of what that person might look like, who we might be able to sell a magazine to. And then we sort of developed the idea and ended up with where we are. I mean, it was, you know, it, we knew this Sports Illustrated out there, but they tend to do it very, they do it slightly differently. But it seemed really odd that there weren't really multi-sports magazines. I don't know whether that's because we'll find out whether there's those people out there that we, we think, you know, are, are generalists. But um, but even Sports Illustrated is kind of more in the US, right? Yeah. It's kind of hard to find here. Yeah. And it's quite well divided. I mean, I know football, I mean, it's kind of the most popular sport yeah. in general, but I think there's a little bit for everyone yeah, well, here. We, we, just, we just went with... We went with what we thought were the most interesting stories across it. And, mm. and, and if it was an interesting story that happened to be about, you know, a big long read that we've put in there, it's 100 facts about baseball, and, and we just kept writing them, and it was the sort of thing where everybody knows what baseball looked like, and, you know, you can name a few of the teams and stuff, but we'd end up saying things like that, did you know that the away team playing great, always playing great, and, and nobody seemed to know it, so you, we, we kept finding stuff. I thought, well, if we're finding, and we're immersed in sport, and been in sport for years, if, if we found this quite interesting, then... 
I think other people might as well. And again, it's that sense of, you know, being stood in a pub and, you know, did you know that? And we thought, well, that's that's what blokes are all about, really, sporty blokes. No, I think it, I think it's excellent. And, and you know, tell us about the design. I really like the cover, you know, it's quite sharp. And it feels a very confident launch issue. Do you know what I mean? It feels like pitch has been yeah, on the newsstand for more than a year or so. Yeah, I mean, that, that I reckon, was the the hardest to get together in terms of all of us, everybody likes classic covers, but mm. but we had to communicate that it was a multi-sports title. So if we picked a famous sports person from a, sing, you know, from a single sport, if that was a, a Jurgen Klopp cover or or what, whatever it was, one of the, one of the single, it's not the same. So as soon as we thought, right, we've got to really, you know, it's, this is the poster for what's in the magazine sort of thing like that. And then it was okay after that. So we'll play with the cover, I'm sure, but, um, for for launches, we've done a lot of magazines between us, sort of thing like that. So, uh, Kevin, who's the publisher of the Kevin Whitchurch, the publisher, has got a real, you know, he's a he's he's a very uh, a good overview and a good sounding board for all these sort of things. So, like I, I mentioned you earlier, the creative director Sam, he's very uh, he likes the very top end. I won't say over design, but, <laughs> but 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 you know, like likes a very very stylish looking magazine, and I'm I'm very very uh, newsstand and mainstream, and you know, this has broke my heart. This is not a glossy cover because uh, you know that's that's where I'm I'm from. But um, between us, we've seen to be able to push it around, and respect each other enough to come up with a, you know, an, an idea where we think it's we all think it's right, and uh, I think that's probably the confidence thinking it's it's not one person's not said oh no, I don't think that's right. And the other two have gone for it. I like the ambition here as well because I, I thought for some reason there was going to be two issues a year, but now I believe it's a quarterly. <laughs> Tell us now. I mean, you have more uh, more job to do now. Yeah, we do. As I said before, the idea we we signed up to do two, and I thought right, I think we could I think we could do that. But uh, again, Kevin, who's the who's the publisher, thought oh this is you know this is going to be good. This is going to be good. So so it's a quarterly. So again, we you know we'd had to rebuild the we, back end of the website to offer subscriptions because we thought it was going to be you know. Issues and stuff like that, but no, I'm pleased that it is. It, it is, you know, the natural territory of it is is quarterly, so we can be a little bit about the sporting calendar, but really broad when we need to be as well. So it's not it's not the relentless pace of a monthly, which you know we all know that's uh, murder, mm. shall we say? But quarterly, it'll, it'll take a bit of you know a bit, bit of organising to get them out. Well, and my favourite pieces actually from Peach, I have to say, are the featurey ones. I love the one about the Panini stickers, which you know brings some nostalgia. Tell us a bit more some of your favourite stories. I mean, perhaps even the Panini stickers one. I think it really you know, resonates. Yeah, with me. I mean, it's it's again, it's whether it's a big thing in your life or a small thing. Everybody's had a packet of Panini stickers, yes, sort of thing yes. like that. And it's one of those sort of things. It was the same as with there's a baseball feature in there, hundred facts about baseball, about the the success and the importance in people's lives of baseball cards and the value of baseball cards. Mm. And even the point of the the Panini stickers. There's a, you know, it's the, we we couldn't. Because they're not traded like baseball cards, you know. There's not such a well-defined market, so we had to put, we had to sell it in as the most loved stickers. But some of them, you know, the the first issue of a, a superstar like Maradona, I think, you know, that's probably worth half a million quid. And you know, everybody had those little packets of these. There might have been a Maradona sticker in those sort of thing. So it's it's very, you know, what I like about what we've done. There, there is some depth. We, there's a story in there about Jurgen Klopp, but it's not the Liverpool Jurgen Klopp story. It's about his his backstory to get him to Liverpool. So all all he did at a club called Mainz in Germany and where he came from, and the same on 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 different levels as well. It's it's trying to take. Like I said before, giving you something that you might not know, you know, but in a very general sort of uh, broad, I know Jurgen Klopp, I know what he is about broadly, 
and um, just add a bit more depth to it. And you and your team are based in Nottingham as well. T tell us about that. Is it a print city? Are there any other titles there? <laughs> it's good, you know, to get out of London a bit as it, well. It, well, it, uh, is there any other titles? There, there is other titles, but I don't think with the ambition that we've got. I, I think it was... We're a creative agency broadly, the, mm. the company I run now, and this was we we carried on doing print despite trying to get out of it, not because we didn't love it, but because of the time-consuming nature of it. And we, we we weren't a massive team when we started; we're a bit bigger now, and that's why we're doing it. But I wouldn't say it's a massive print city. It's got it's got a real vibe and and mm. um, a bit of a it's described as the rebel city vibe. There's a lot of a uh, lot of civil uprisings and the likes happened in uh, in Nottingham and. Uh, We do like it. We're on the east side of the city, which has got a bit of a vibe around the universities and the like. So it's a, it's a good good place to be around. And we, we have lots of young people work for us, and uh, I'm really proud of that. We're just talking how pitch was. It's, it's kind of a new idea for the new stand because it talks about all sports. Uh, do you follow the sports press in general, like the daily papers, or do you have any other magazines you kind of like that are about, about um, sport? If I'm honest with you, I'm a I'm a music magazine person, really. You know, that's 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 I what am. that's what that's what I like. That's what I like reading. That's where, that's where my heroes are in terms mm. of writers and the likes. But um, you know, uh, the, the great magazines. I think I think it goes in cycles a, a lot within the magazines that have been going around such a long time. And in terms of where their confidence levels are and things like that, if you f follow it a lot, and I don't see a ton of confidence at the moment in the in the sports titles, if I'm, if I'm honest, sort of thing like that. And the same a little bit with the music magazines as well. But that's, you know, I've got a bit of a blind spot to that. I love them. And, and I'm, I'm an enormous Springsteen fan. And this is, this is the absolute... I kill myself every time I see a Springsteen cover because I know everything about Springsteen. He's on the cover of... Is he uh, Mojo? He's Mojo. Yeah, he bloody yeah. is. And, he is. He <laughs> is. And I know everything about him. There's nothing <laughs> I'm going to see in a magazine that I don't know about him. But I buy them every bloody time because it's... You know, there might be just that sort of thing. And I do, you know, I like them on that level. And I like the fact that the cover stars that, that repeat have got interesting stories. I think that's fascinating how people are still interested in in Springsteen, in Paul McCartney, in those people that the people that know everything know everything. And they still they still rotate those covers around because people like me buy them. I get it. I get yeah. it. Do you play sports too? Do you still play cricket? Because uh, I know you're professional. And... Yeah, I, I was a professional, but I, that was a long time ago. I'm, a bit, I'm way past that. And uh, I really admire people that play sport after being a professional. So you know, they don't have to do it and mm. they carry on. But the second I finished, I... I pretty much had enough. I was You're tired. You're just listening to Springsteen and yeah, chilling, like, making like, magazines. I like music and I, I yeah, and, and there's other things I'm equally interested in. That was Andy Afford, editor of Pitch Magazine, and if you want to buy a copy, go to pitch-mag.co.uk. Let's cross to Ukraine now to take a look at the role of journalism during the war. Monaco's Carlota Rebelo spoke to Katerina Sergatskova, an editor who found the 2402 fund when the invasion began, providing medical training, protective equipment and risk assessment courses to Ukrainian journalists, who suddenly had to trade their usual bits of culture, design or similar to become frontline reporters. The fund has now evolved into financing independent journalism too and has so far provided equipment and training to over 200 journalists in the country. We're here in Kyiv reporting along with our news editor Chris Chermak, who you had met, I believe, back in February, just 10 days before the 24th. I guess it's, of course, amazing to see you in person here after speaking to you uh, over the line and after the two of you meeting here. 
I'm going to ask you a very difficult question, I guess, and complex, which is how have the past five, six months been for you? Do you feel settled in a way now with everything that has happened that life can somehow go back to normal within the circumstances? Well, where to start? Actually, you can never be, you can never be ready for the war. I've been reporting from the war zones uh, in Ukraine and Iraq since uh, 2014. But it was very different from what we have now. Because when, when I first heard the sounds of explosions in Kiev, I was shocked. Uh, because I, I never thought that this will happen. And I guess like every Ukrainian, we, we, we just didn't think that, that, that Russia can do such things to us. Uh, I mean, they, they did something in Donbass, in Crimea, but uh, this invasion is something very big. And I think this is the, the biggest war in the current history in the world. It's worse than uh, ISIS, actually. Uh, it was than anything, because the, the whole country is under the threat. But after I, I first heard these explosions, and uh, then I figured out that uh, it is war, the first thing was to, you know, to put myself together and to talk with my uh, team, with journalists, because for, I guess, for many uh, journalists in Ukraine, there was a question, what should I do? Uh, should I report from the war? Should I become a war journalist if I was, you know, editor of, I don't know, beauty section in, in the magazine? And it was frustrating for, for, many, of, uh, for many of my colleagues. They didn't know what, what to do, how to react. And uh, actually the, the first thing that, that we had to do is to protect ourselves. Many of us have families, children. Me, for example, I have two kids. And you, you, you need to, to fix everything, to, to figure out how to live in the war. You know, this question is like, uh, should I go out of the country or should I stay here and, you know, report from the streets? And it was so dangerous, actually, to report from the streets in Kiev because uh, Russian saboteurs were inside of the city uh, in the beginning uh, with tanks, with, with everything. And you never know whom you will meet on, on the street. Uh, it could be uh, Russian soldiers, actually. And from the beginning, we knew that uh, Russia targets journalists uh, because for them, freedom of press is something very dangerous because we can tell the truth, we can tell that uh, Russia is a fascist state. Actually, this is pretty clear now. And yeah, I figure out that, that I'm actually the threat for Russians and I'm a, a target. So in the very first days of the invasion, we decided to make a fund to protect journalists because most of the journalists were uh, actually naked. They didn't have uh, bulletproof vests, helmets, first aid kits, you know, they, they didn't have anything because they, they were not prepared for such, such war. And we started to collect money and uh, lots of people from around the world uh, helped us. And I was actually so 
so glad that so many people know the value of you know of journalism of freedom of speech because this is something uh, something that you know not every person in the world know why our job is so important because if you if you don't come to the crime scene the, the world would know what happened there and you know my my friends and colleagues went to Mariupol just a day before the invasion and they were able to to photograph and to film russian atrocities in the city it's Evgeny Maloletka and Mstislav Chernov they did amazing job and i guess this is a very important thing to to support journalists who who are ready to go who have uh this courage to report from the war zones especially when uh the war zone is a whole country it's not a defined uh line or small territory and you were mentioning there of course the fund 2402 and um I wanted to ask you more about that and when you first started setting the fund and getting these journalists prepared for the reality around them did you find yourself having to explain that role that importance or that people understood that this is a value that if you live in a democracy the value of the free press really matters well we we communicated this so actually it's interesting question because i think that not not all of journalists actually knew the, the the importance of their work before the invasion they didn't know how important is it so when when we uh, received you know first applies to to the fund and we've seen so many different people from different regions and we didn't know like most of the of these people we never met them you know and then we started to to speak to them to ask them what was their job before the invasion and and how they cope with uh, with the war and you you just you just see how just ordinary people who who used to be you know ordinary editors or journalists in in like cultural uh, topics you know they they they, they covered absolutely d- different things they just d- decided to uh, to go to the dangerous places uh, because they wanted to protect our country and you know sometimes people go to the army to protect their country and journalists protect their country by by reporting uh, about everything that that is uh, happening here and i think this is uh, this this was pretty powerful uh, to me you know to to discover how many people really wants to help by by reporting well i i wanted to ask you how you feel about you know people like us foreign media who come into your huh. your country to tell your story there's the side that of course it's important for the world to know and foreign media can help with that but does it come with downsides as well of people telling your story perhaps not in a way that Ukrainians would agree. Well, it's a different and very big topic actually, you know that. Because of course there are lots of like it was thousands of journalists who who came to Ukraine to to report, 
uh, and some of them uh, apply to our fund to <laughs> to have uh, bulletproof vests and helmets. And we were telling them like, okay, you're a foreigner, you're from the you know welfare country, and you can just just buy it, just find it in your country and come. And if you don't have it, just just do not come because it's dangerous. You can't go to the war zone naked. But yeah, um, thousands of journalists came, and I guess not not so many of them really knew what what Ukraine is. And I think like very uh, valuable thing about Ukrainian journalists is that we know everything about our country, and we know actually every building in the Kyiv center. Like you just can can tell a story about you know this cafe, this gallery, and people around. You know everything, and you know the names, and you know how how we lived before the invasion, and and who who helped the country, and who is a traitor. You know things like that. Many of journalists became uh, fixers for the foreign media. And I think this is this is a good thing, but at the same time, many of them just didn't know how to how to make risk assessment, for example, how to how to report from really dangerous places, and that's why we have so many injured journalists and fixers because they 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 came to to places where they shouldn't be because they they just didn't know what kind of threat they have in there. And we lost uh, some of our colleagues during the war. And it's it's actually a big number. I guess 13 journalists uh, have died in Ukraine since the invasion. And dozens of journalists get injured. And they they cannot work anymore. They, they cannot film, you know, because they, they lost their hands or something like that, you know. So yeah, that, that's why uh, I think we created the fund just to to make sure that our guys can be protected at least with with something that that can uh, protect them from from shrapnel, you know, basics. Thank you. Thank you. Finally, on the show, we discover a beautiful art title from Canada. It's called Smart Magazine. It is the official publication of Lighthouse Immersive, covering the visual, performing and immersive arts. It is edited by former Monaco staff Michael Zaratus Cook. For issue 9, the magazine had a little redesign. Let's hear more from Michael. Fernando, thank you so much for, for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. You're right. Uh, in 2018, I worked for Monocle and I used to listen to the stack during my shifts. So it's a bit surreal to be joining you uh, on it a couple of years later. No, I love that. I love that, that you, you have your project. Now, tell us about Smart Magazine. I've seen a few copies. I think it's a tremendous publication. But for those who don't know, perhaps give us an introduction. Absolutely. So we are an arts publication focusing on the visual and performing arts. We started in Toronto, Canada, North America, but we're now covering the arts on a global scale. It started in August 2020, that's when I founded the magazine, but really this idea began in the fall of 2018 when I uh, started working at the Monocle shop here in, in Toronto. You know, the minute that I walked into the shop, 
the first time, the love affair with Monocle was was instantaneous. You know, I tell people that when you, at least when I stepped into Monocle, I felt like I was walking into an embassy, but not the embassy of a country. It was more the embassy of an aesthetic. So it was this aesthetic that inspired me. So when I left Monocle in the summer of 2019 to return back to school, I left thinking how great it would be if Monocle's international perspective and highly sort of stylized aesthetic could be used to present the visual and performing arts on a global scale. It was this thought at the back of my head that I wasn't even conscious of. So when Lighthouse Immersive, a production company here in North America, gave me the opportunity to create a newsletter for their visitors and their subscribers, that's when that initial inspiration took the forefront. And I slowly developed this newsletter into what it is now, which again is a is a publication that focuses on the arts on a broad and global scale. And that's the elevator explanation of what we do. Well, that's fantastic. And before I find out a little bit more about the magazine, tell us about Lighthouse Immersive. They are responsible for quite a lot of fairly big exhibitions, like the one I think they did with Van Gogh as well. Yeah, the work they do is amazing. It's sorely, sorely needed here in North America. The relationship with the arts in, in Europe is fairly different from what we have here in North America. And we need companies like Lighthouse Immersive who come in and reach out to the general public. For us in the arts, names like Van Gogh, Frida, or, you know, it's as it's, it's common as furniture, basically. But for the general public, especially folks who don't have the resources to access the arts as, as regularly as uh, some of us do, companies like Gladhouse Immersive allow them to build a ramp up to engaging the arts. So that's what they did with these immersive exhibits that put you not only in contact with the work of artists like Van Gogh, of artists like Gustav Klimt, but literally immerse you in it so that you're getting the art experience in a very up close and personal way. So when they approached me again to, to create a newsletter for them, my interests are a bit more broad than the work that they were putting out at the time, which I loved. Uh, but I saw this as an opportunity. I saw Smart Magazine as an opportunity to not only reach out to the same demographic that Lighthouse Immersive was connecting with, but also reach out to a broader artistically motivated base, uh, again, on a global scale. And that can be felt, uh, for example, in the latest issue I was reading. I mean, the range of topics, it's amazing. There was a story about uh, ballet, you know, talking about, you know, some social issues around around ballet as well. I think Ukraine, or actually, there's a very interesting story about Ukraine. So I, I guess when you're talking about broad sense of art, that's what you mean as well. It's not just a review of a nice exhibition, for example. Absolutely, Fernando. And it aligns perfectly with our editorial mission. And for me, that is to sort of remove the partitions that often exist in arts journalism and bring various art forms under one roof. You know, for example, as you've pointed out, in the visual arts, our coverage ranges from, you know, tattoo and graffiti artists to abstract and portrait paintings. In the performing arts, we cover everything from contemporary dance, ballet, to opera singers, to folk and, and pop artists. Then as a whole, uh, we present the visual and performing arts together because in real life, in the artistic space, if you speak to artists and you speak to stage directors, you speak to playwrights and creators, the visual and performing arts are hardly ever separated. You know, you can't have one without the other. So as you've pointed out, yes, we want to not only reach a global demographic, 
But even at the local level, we want to make sure that what we are putting together, what we are presenting, again, removes these sort of fictitious partitions that exist. How often uh, the magazine comes out as well? And, and, and where can people find and buy a copy? Absolutely. So we are operating at four issues a year at the moment. So since last October, we've uh, published four print issues. Uh, you can find a copy at www.smartbylighthouse.com. And also we have a podcast, which you can find on Spotify at The Smartcast, as well as our newsletter, which you can find on, on the website as well. So uh, print, it's quarterly, but everything else, number one, we're doing it as quickly as our limited resources can allow. It's sometimes a frenetic pace, but uh, if you spoke to Tyler Brule 14, 15 years ago, I'm sure he could tell you the same, that it was a frenetic pace at the start. And then eventually you level out and you become a lot more regular. Oh, exactly. And and one thing I have to say, I'm very curious. I, I told you I've never been to Canada, which is a bit of a shocker, <laughs> Michael. But it seems to me that the publishing industry in Canada is quite healthy. I see a lot of new magazines coming out there. Is that true? I mean, you work there, you publish a magazine. Is that the case? Yes, in general. And I'll say quickly, as I said before, uh, our conversation, Fernando, you have to come to Canada. We, we, I have we love us and we'll love you. <laughs> um, but in short, yes, generally speaking, the publishing industry here is healthy as a whole. Now, when you zoom in and you look at the arts specifically, one of the things that motivated me to create this is because I came up in Toronto as an arts journalist. I, a lot of sort of independent blogs to then more national publications we are sorely missing the sort of low to mid-level journalistic chatter that really thrives and moves and motivates an industry. So, you know, at the national scale, yes, we, there's a lot of activity. The government is fairly enthusiastic about providing help for that. Though that said, if you compare us to countries like France, for example, where the government is a lot more involved in the arts and the arts is a lot more championed at a national level and also at a local uh, level, you can use that comparison to say that, yes, we can be a lot better. So we have a long way to go, but there's real enthusiasm at a grassroots and also uh, an entrepreneurial level to create things that, you know, in the past you would have waited for official publications like the CBC and so forth to commission. But with Smart Magazine, for example, I didn't want to wait for something like that. And then to quickly add to that, there's also the perspective of even if the publishing industry was thriving, that's not necessarily true for specific demographics. I'm Black, and we don't have a lot of chief editors at this level, especially in Canada. So it was very important for me to make sure that something like this got the light of day that it deserves. Because my hope is that as voices like mine are added to the editorial space and the editorial economy, we hopefully can reach stories that otherwise are sort of left out of the, the social zeitgeist, if you will. Thank you very much, Michael. And issue nine of Smart Magazine is out now. That's it for this week's show. My thanks as ever to our editor, Nora Hall. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fpnmonaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at 10 a.m. London time. And of course, you can always listen to The Stack at monaco.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also subscribe to Monaco Magazine too. Before we go, a little song for you. This is Haruomi Hosono with Sportsman. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, 
It's goodbye from me. Be a good sportsman. Be a good sportsman. Be a good sportsman.